0: Hi everyone, I'm Kukuletusiso, coming at you from Tumeza, based here in Harare, Zimbabwe. And you're listening to Vibe Check on the African Pre-Seed Podcast. What informed your decision to pivot into the logistics finance sector? To give you a bit of background about how Tumeza actually came to be, the plan was to connect logistics entities that weren't able to get access to large-scale companies such as Pick and Pay. So what's currently happening in the African logistics sector is large-scale Entities want some assurance from their logistics companies that one, they're going to be able to have capacity in an example where, let's say, certain goods are moved from point A to B. And then between the transit and the truck breaks down, they want that assurance that the company has got, let's say, five extra trucks that would be able to go bail out the situation and keep the transaction going. Unfortunately, with many of the small scale logistics entities that are out there, They don't have that backup, right? You maybe have got one or two trucks that are already in transit and small, large scale entities don't want to take a risk on dealing with you. So what we ended up doing was aggregating these small entities, allowing them to get access to contracts from guys such as pick and pay that ordinarily they would not have access to because they didn't have capacity, as well as the fact that they did not have the financial capacity as well. So we were fairly successful at it, but as in the case of most small entities, we ran into the battle of access to credit, right? Pick and pay is paying you in 30 to 60 days. And... They have a a tendency, I don't want to call it a tendency, but they are well aware of the fact that they can bully you as a small scale player, right? So if they tell you 30 to 60 days, you find that 30 to 60 days could end up being 90 days and you can't get any recompense, right? So if you can't beg them to pay you a bit earlier, that forces you to get access to credit or try and get access to credit. Unfortunately, that's something that we weren't able to do. And as a result, we're forced to shut down that business model. So whilst we're licking our wounds and trying to figure out how exactly do we move on from from here because our entire identity had been based around being, you know, a logistics player, we started getting a lot of phone calls from our former clients namely the logistics companies that were like, hey guys, we get that you guys are no longer operational within the logistics space, but are you able to kind of give me a short-term loan just to cover, you know, the contract that I have right now and then I'll pay you guys back whenever I get it. This started off with one entity and then quickly blew up to the majority of the guys that we're covering because we realized that whilst we'd been in operation, we had been providing a working capital service that we had not realized we'd been doing, right? So what's pick and pay will tell us that, you know, we'll pay you guys in 30 days. We understood that these guys needed some form of cash flow in order to to pay for fuel, as well as to keep their goods moving. So would borrow funds from, you know, family and friends or borrow money from John in order to pay Peter in order to keep that exercise moving. And when we backed out of the space, these guys were essentially stuck. So that pivot was literally <laughs> due to an outcry for help from our logistics players that just needed us to provide some element of financing just so that they could continue moving. Then once we started having more conversations with people within the logistics sector, we realized that it wasn't only the small guys, you know, with their one or two trucks that were struggling. It's also affecting the majority of the larger guys that, let's say, are extremely acid-heavy with their hundreds and hundreds of trucks. Because cash flows will impact you negatively, regardless of how big or how you small you are. So that's how we found ourselves within this unique position of one, having a background of logistics and two, having a very empathetic stance of how financing negatively or can positively impact you as a logistics business, while as taking advantage of both of those experiences in order to provide a solution that is able to benefit not only logistics players, but as well as their clients. What incorrect assumptions are made about the logistics industry and its relationship with technology? This is a discussion that I have with many people that approach me with many offers of tech platforms, you know, they'll be like, oh, you guys have this database for these transporters. We're looking at providing this tech that will do X, Y, Z for them. And it's always interesting that one, the people that are trying to create the tech for those logistics operators have never actually had a conversation with any logistics operator. If one were to have such a conversation, you see that many of the assumptions made, one, let's say an app, will quickly be thrown out of the door because you realize that the typical logistics operator who, let's say, owns two or three vehicles does not have the time to be, you know, uh, sitting down and logging certain information if it's not in their direct interest. There's a reason why many of the tech platforms that are out there are still mainly Excel-based, right? It's, it's boggling, but it's true, right? It's the easiest way to trick what everyone is doing because trying to marry the tech at this particular stage does not make sense. The logistics operators that you're trying to provide solutions to are not interested unless there's a direct correlation of there being an advantage to them um, using the platform, right? So what we ended up doing is trying to create a web platform. That directly connects them to human support that is able to collect the data on a one-on-one basis and then log that information on their end, and then we take it from there. We realize that trying to create applications that rely on the transporter logging in the data by themselves, quickly sees a usage that is below 1%, right? That shows that you've spent all that money, but no one is using it. And if no one is using it, there's no case for you. So I would say in conclusion, there's this assumption that tech will solve everything in logistics and that take up will be the easiest thing on the world. That is wildly, wildly inaccurate and is quickly disproved once you have a conversation with a logistics operator. Should we be excited about the African Continental Free Trade Agreement? I'll be very honest because this is something that directly impacts me as a business, right? With more logistics operators being able to move more goods across the African continent, or rather cross more borders with less barriers, especially non-tariff barriers, that means that Tumeza is making more money because you're deploying more money, more money is coming back quickly, you know, more money in our pocket. I'll be very honest though, Just about a month ago, as I was following the progress of what's happening with AFCFTA, right? I was very skeptical, right? Because this is an agreement that needs the buy-in of all 54 African countries within the continent, right? And only 44 of those countries have signaled an intention of taking it seriously. And of those 44, only seven have actually started testing it between themselves, right? And of those seven is someone who's coming from the Sadak region, right? As much as Mauritius is within Sadak, Sadak is heavily dominated by South Africa, and maybe to a lesser extent, guys such as Zambia and Zimbabwe, and they are no way close to those seven countries that have started trading between themselves to also test the legal ramifications of, okay, if X, Y, Z goes wrong, how do we solve it? And secondly, trying to match businesses between country A and country B, because remember that countries don't trade between themselves, it's the companies within those countries that trade within themselves. So I would say that the vision is definitely not worthy. But the journey towards actually implementing it is going to be is going to be hard because we need buy-in of certain countries. But I would say I'm a bit heartened by the fact that with a guided trade initiative with notable countries such as Rwanda, Kenya and, and Uganda starting to move goods between them, we'll be able to kind of see, okay, one, what are the goods that are moving between those countries, right? Two, what are the tariffs that have been taken down, right? Is there a notable difference between those goods flowing between country B and country A, or does it not make much of a difference, right? Three, if things go wrong, is there actually an opportunity for that to be fixed? Or is this just going to be, ah, okay, things went wrong. This just go back to maybe the ECOWAS regional trading block. It will go back to that Dakinsaku or whatever is there. So I would say that I am very heartened looking at what's happening with the kind of Trade initiative, but... We definitely need all 54 countries to start taking this more seriously so that companies within those com- within those countries can take advantage of taking down the non-trade barriers that I think are the ones that the most, most difficult and have the biggest barrier between countries trading within themselves in essence. What does your user or customer look like in the African logistics sector? Okay, so let's look at the statistics, right? Africa is assumed to be a $300 billion logistics industry. I know that there's a lot of, you know, hemming and howing. There's some people that say 100 billion, some will say 200 billion, some will say 400 billion. But my assumption of the 300 billion, right, is that this is inclusive of the informal market, not just, in, just the formal market, the, the data that's being collected. So let's work with 300 billion, right? Of this 300 billion, right, over 80% of the operators there are small scale logistics operators. And by small scale logistics operators, I mean entities that own about five vehicles or less. So that definitely tells you before we even, before I even start answering or getting into depth of that question, what's on the ground? I cannot target the large guys because they are overwhelmed by the entities that are small, that are active within the continent. So on a day-to-day basis, if you're talking about logistics, you're talking about John who owns maybe between three and five vehicles, right? And is active within a certain particular niche, either doing cross-border deliveries or doing local deliveries. This is the person that is conducting deliveries on a day-to-day basis. He may be doing it by himself or he may be part of a larger logistics aggregator that may be tech-enabled, that is more likely non-tech enabled and is just being controlled by someone who is sitting behind a desk and is working on an Excel sheet and has got a contract with XYZ and is outsourcing those particular deliverers to John. That's the reality on the ground. And really trying to focus on the larger guys is I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves because they are, those are not the guys that are handling the greater part of logistics within the African continent. Should founders go B2B or B2C? I'm a B2B founder, right? I've always been a B2B founder. B2B guarantees you recurring revenues with less effort, right? And by less effort, I mean that you're investing less in terms of marketing, as well as in terms of having to constantly go out there and convince people to test your product, as well as to keep using it, right? Because let's look at B2C, right? You have to convince a large number of people to continuously use your product as opposed to many solutions that are on the market and many distractions that are on the market, right? You're also fighting against, let's say, Samantha's own personal views about why XYZ has to be used, as well as her own pocket, right? We know what's going on within the, the world right now, even within SA, right? Inflation is hitting us hard and pockets are being are being definitely being tightened by everyone. So you see that your margins are going down as opposed to the typical business, especially if you've built a product that is integral to their day-to-day activities, as well as integral, it may be saving them money. You know that they may cut down their some expenses that may seem frivolous, but you may be able to survive as opposed to maybe a B2C product that does, let's say, food delivery. Not to knock it, but when things hit the fan, those are one of the few things that you start counting down. So I would say go the B2B route because you know that recurring revenue is going to come much faster. You may definitely spend more time in convincing those companies to use your product, but you know that the second you've got them on board, Offboarding them is going to be less likely than someone who just wakes up and stop using your product because one well, they can no longer afford it or because maybe someone else enticed them with I don't know a promotion code written Google X2X. So yeah, that's uh, that's my humble opinion concerning B2B. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. If you're an Africa focused founder or investor looking to learn more about Africa's tech ecosystem. Check out AfricanPreciate.com for more great content. Otherwise, that's all for now. Remember, if you don't try anything, you'll attain nothing. Build something people want. I'm Ceso and this has been VibeChick. Take care.